when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's October 19th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 435. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Lepic. Hello. Producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. And, uh, Ricardo, I am pleased to see that finally we had a bit of restraint shown on the What's Happening on Waypoint uh, Twitter post. Okay. Um, instead of Look. a shit post, we just posted a schedule with the graphics we commissioned <laughs> internally, and it's clean, it's legible, it, like, tells people what it is without any reference to an Even my joke. shit posts were legible. Maybe they were in a fun font. Fun fonts, you can still read fun fonts. I, I, feel, I feel like if, if Rob's goal here was to encourage this behavior going forward, it is backfired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100%. I'm just refilling that shitpost meter, you know? I had, yeah. you know, too many weeks back to back, drained it out. I got to, you know, take a couple weeks off before I start, you know, <laughs> getting the shitpost back Got to fill up with memes again before yeah. I can... Uh... <laughs> got to let the meme cycle continue a bit. Get some new ones going. Well, there's something else that pleased me about that post, though, yeah. uh, which was the fact that there was a whole lot of stalker happening <laughs> on that on that post. And that's appropriate because it is Stalktober and we are finally doing it. And I think, Patrick, you and I have uh, a bunch of streams planned for this week, as that schedule showed, uh, as we're going to really start putting the time in that game. And you're going to truly encounter uh, the zone because you've only scratched the surface. Um, how are you finding it so far? I, I I'm I'm liking it quite quite a bit. Um, I think I Stalker is one of those games that I orbits around a lot of games that I like and folks that I know that like those types of games. And having played the Metro games, um, I think Stalker, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase, like feels like it has been stalking me, and I just never ha- have gone back mm. to that original game because my thought the way it the reverence with which people talk about it, the way with which people talk about it, it struck me as, oh, is this going to be the kind of game that is better uh, appreciated from a distance and like heard about from people who experienced it in the moment? But is is it the kind of game that you can go back to and like appreciate it for what it is? Or is it like, oh, look at this nostalgic artifact um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's that's the, that's the challenge of going back to a game. It's not that that old, but, you know, it's old enough to fall into that category, especially given the amount of influence that it's had well, um, since then. Where and I'll going tell you back something to- that just jumped out at me in terms of just how much like there are things that are in that game that you just don't expect anymore. Um, there's a point where you sort of realize that this is a game where like you are just literally running around these hub areas. Yes. Um, and it occurred to me that like, and your character is fast. Like when you activate, like <laughs> it's, old, mode, it's old school shooter fast. It's something that has been just stomped out of all once consoles got good at 
um, doing shooters like around the Halo era, like like games just slowed down because you couldn't do that speed with analog sticks. Yes. And that just influenced everything else in shooters once everything went multi-platform and like you were making games for wider audiences. Like it's just wild to go play any shooter from like soccer has strong like 90s like i'm playing a game on the build engine like vibes mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. like when you run you i mean you're you're the flash like you are just <laughs> booking like this game has a stamina meter but it might as well not because you can it's like oh there's an encounter with some dogs which should be deadly and like leave a lasting impact but don't worry i'll just i'll just hit the gas and just make it halfway across <laughs> the map before the game punishes me uh with with a you know a stamina hit but at the same time like i'm playing it and i'm thinking about like comparatively I was like, I kind of like this because it does feel like my characters are comparatively unencumbered. Whereas, like so often now, characters feel cumbersome. Um, they don't. They 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 kind of lumber around levels uh, a mm-hmm. lot of times, and it means that transiting like large areas on foot, you end up in this weird scale thing of like the because the solution has been well, we'll introduce vehicles um, to a lot of these games, right? And so we end up in this in this zone of like. The level is at once the, the the game space is at once a little too small for the vehicles to really feel right. Uh, everything is a thirty second drive from everything else. Uh, but at the same time, like walking around the spaces uh, just slows everything to a crawl. And so you end up in this place where I think a lot of modern games, even though in some ways it's more realistic that you don't have characters that can just turn into the flash on command. At the same time, like, I find when I'm going back to Stalker, I'm like, you know, I'm finding getting around this world just a lot easier. It, it's imposing fewer dumb questions on me where it's like, yeah, I'll just I'll just I'll just jog there. It's fine. And there's a lot less like kind of dull trip planning, um, which yeah, I guess that, like that's part that, of that's a, of open worlds. Yeah, And that's like when I the way people talked about Stalker in my head. There was less like signposting. Um, like, it, it, you know, with, with, within an hour or two, it would like, I could kind of tell like, oh, I can see in the world, in the geometry, like in the art direction, like, oh, you are funneling me. These are the signposts for like, this is a thing you should go investigate. There's probably something to do here or something to find. And in my head, I'd always just, I guess I thought of Stalker as like one big map, um, that lots of things are happening in real time. You can miss a lot of things. And the reality is, like, that's more atmosphere and aesthetic than it is reality. Like, mm-hmm. Stalker is actually, like, a fairly – I mean, it's still do- – I don't, I don't want to diminish what, it, what it's doing it relative to its its own time period. But still, like, if you've played enough first-person, like, shooters, like, you come and it's like, oh, these really are just kind of levels. It's like, oh, there's, like, six things I can do here. Mm-hmm. And then here's the would you like to go to the next area <laughs> spot. And it, it imposes pressure and weight by assigning things like – there's three days to accomplish this task, which is in the game's actual clock, like an impossible amount of time. You'll be you'll you'll be able to finish any of these if you'd like. But like when you check out the actual map, it seems so big and vast. But then when you actually interact with it moment to moment, it's like, oh, OK, these are, you know, like this is like well, a, you know, 45 minute space for me to interact with before I move on to, to the next one. Now, granted, maybe that changes a little bit as I, as yeah, I, I mean, further, this, but is, like, this is where it gets really interesting because I think this this week it's going to be the stuff we're going to get into, I think, is going to be both. You're going to see kind of the extremes of Stalker as like. It has this corridor shooter identity that it dips into sometimes where it's like uh, literally you're not far from being sent into like an old bunker. 
Um, and it's a bunker level in, in a lot of ways. But then the next zones that you're going to go to also begin to open the game up a little bit and show a little bit more of that like uh, sense of living world is an overused phrase, but like my memory of it is these zones are are much livelier uh, than than what you've seen so far. So I, I am curious, like to a degree, to what degree my uh, memories are rose tinted, but also right. how much does the experience now change now that you're out of where kind of explicitly marked off as tutorial zones, right? Like the, the cordon, which is where you start all the characters <laughs> like, well, this is where the rookies hang out. Uh, the real zone starts well where you are. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious what we're going to get to in these, in these three sessions. Cause here's the other thing. It's kind of funny for me. Um, I have no sense how long, how much progress we're going to make, because the game is kind of like open-ended about like, eh, you can approach this a number of ways. And also, I don't know where we're going to get stuck. <laughs> like, like you never know when you're just going to up in a like, oh, this is going to be a quick save every single safe step uh, point of the game. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how this week uh, unfolds. But I think we've got three sessions on the books mm-hmm. uh, for this. Mm-hmm. Like every afternoon, we're going to be we're going to be stalking. Uh, we're gonna take a little break on Thursday and then, uh, fire team Fridays, uh, is, is going to happen again. You, I I feel like I should credit, um, the, uh, the person that, uh, let me, uh, Anubis 20 K in, in the Twitch chat, uh, they they wrote down as I was signing off on Friday. Fireteam Fridays is very good, and then I just screenshot screenshotted that and shared it with our one of our group Discord messages. Like we're stealing that branding. So shout, shout out to Anubis Twenty K for coming up with. Uh, it's hard to name things, and so I, I appreciate when. <laughs> Gonna have to commission art. Gonna, uh, <laughs> yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, do you remember when I mentioned that I had played seven hours of Shadow of Chernobyl? Vega. Yeah. You know that. You know where like the first zone ends and you have to load into a next one? I never yeah. saw that in those seven hours. Oh no. <laughs> I absolutely remember around. the road leading up to that little um l- little like checkpoint where then you load oh, into like, the next wait, bit. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. That okay. that's as far I as like, I got. I thought you meant the bridge. I thought you meant the bridge. No, 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 I, no. I, I got past like, the bridge. You never got past the bridge. I here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I could not figure out how the fucking minimap worked. I was very confused and I never got to that first fight. I do not remember that first fight at all. I wandered that opening area, just poking in, probably spent easily an hour trying to get past the little uh, zappy things that gets you under the bridge, the little, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spent numerous uh, hours just fighting random dogs and then selling little bits, like going back each time if I, like, I, got if I wasn't, stream- if selling- I wasn't streaming, I would have spent... <laughs> 90 minutes trying to figure out right. the blue shocky right. thing instead of just paying 500 bucks to go around it. Like that, right. that's one of the differences of like playing for an audience and like trying to mind their time and, and frustration with what I would feel like would be a good use of my time. And like, I would have just been like, pl- like safe scumming through that <laughs> tunnel to see if I could get to the other right. side. Exactly. Somehow I managed to spend all that time. And it's mostly cause like once I hyper fixate on 
a thing that seems possible. I will try it forever. Oh, yeah. I have way too much patience for like, all right, that's the like hundredth time I've died on the zappy things. But Dude, I was right there. My, it was the last fucking step. <laughs> my style as a player a lot of times is totally the Kevin Costner character in Tin Cup where like the end of the movie, he just starts shooting like ball after ball over a water hazard and landing in it because he's convinced that like, no, he's got enough club in the bag to clear that, that water hazard. <laughs> and everyone's like, dude, there's no point. You could just like lay up and just like chip over the hazard. And he's like, no, I want to do it in one stroke. And I'm like, at the time I was like, what an asshole. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm that guy. Like, that's, <laughs> it's like, no, I, I like this approach. I'm going to show that it can work. Um, including, you know, I think I mentioned this before uh, in the original call of duty. Uh, there is this, during the the Soviet campaign, there's the Pavlov's house sequence where like first you storm this like famous uh, like five story apartment building and take it uh, from the Nazis. And then you have to defend it from a counterattack. But the thing is, uh, this is before Call of Duty got really aggressive with like uh, funneling you to its exact checkpoints. So I was like. I think I see a better way in. I'm going to go flank around and enter through the basement of the building and clear from the bottom up. And it was a good approach, but the game didn't recognize it. Uh, and so two things happened. One, it never triggered any of the uh, autosave checkpoints that were in the game. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> and two, I never triggered any of the shutdowns for the German spawns that are inside that building. Uh, because, like, until you do the things... Because they want the firefights to continue, infinite German troops will spawn until, like, the uh, Soviets pour in and start taking it over, and then the spawns are shut off. Because I did not go the way the game expected, they never stopped spawning in. And so, like, it was, God, I must have spent hours clearing this building um, <laughs> from, from uh, like, Nazi troops, and they would pop up in all directions. And I was like, I kept getting killed. And I was like, I just need to do it better. I'm convinced I can make this work. Even though it's clear <laughs> that, like, I'm supposed to go in through the front door with, like, all my, uh, you know, Soviet comrades. I was like, nope, doing the basement. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was not worth it. But it was it was cool. Like, it was some of the most, like, white-knuckle gaming I've ever done. Actually, that reminds me. So, Patrick, you'll be thrilled to hear. Uh, mm. I played something else that was ancient and completely irrelevant for current ah, coverage. Thank God, uh, mm. the, the, the Rob Zachney special of saddle up to the to the <laughs> to the diner. It's it's getting served. Yeah. Um, so I started playing Medal of Honor Airborne. Uh, <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, what what year is that even? That's that here. Let's let's look this up because I don't. I think it's a contemporary. Here's the thing: it's, I think it's a contemporary of Modern Warfare One, the original. Yeah, I think this is pretty late in the the Medal of Honor cycle. Although at this point, two thousand seven, it's yeah, as old as Interactive doesn't exist anymore at that point. I don't think. So, uh, it's here. Here's the thing: I understand why this game gets completely overlooked. Like when you put it in the context of the games that came out, like again. Uh, Modern Warfare was right in this era. And I can see where you put those things side by side. Uh, this is like, oh, World War II again. Boring. But Counterpoint, this game is fascinating and really good. Now, Patrick, I don't know my Halos well enough to, like, remark on this. But, like, uh -huh. I feel like it's doing some of what I've heard that ODST did. 
which is that like the conceit of Medal of Honor Airborne is that they like in the single player campaign, unlike Call of Duty, where it's like you're going to go through one set piece after another in sequence and you're always going to like see what we want you to see and you're going to go into the level, but it's going to be very cinematic. Medal of Honor Airborne, uh, you parachute into the level and you're given a set of objectives that are just all around this this open level and you can kind of go about them in any order and more importantly, kind of approach from any side. And so like I'm playing this game and on the one hand, it's a very mid two thousands, uh, like world war two shooter. Like it's, it's all there. You've, you've played most of the shooting, uh, before I still think the console controls are surprisingly good. Like the fact that it's kind of got a lean, uh, that is combined. Like when you aim down sights and then, uh, like left stick, what your character will do is just like ease around corners and like mm. pop up and like look over walls. So there are little like enhancements there that a lot of other games uh, didn't do. But more importantly, there's the fact that like multiple approaches in each objective work. And you'll sort of be sitting there being like, man, this is really like, I'm having a tough time like with this part of the fight. And then you realize like, wait, I was in an apartment building a couple minutes ago. And it overlooks this entire courtyard and I can just shoot down into it. And so you cut back across a couple side streets, storm that apartment building, go up. And now you've got a different perspective on the objective and you can start like, you know, raining fire down and come in that side or you can do something else. But that's kind of the cool part of it is I'm playing this thing and there's like the sense of um, discovering creativity as, as I'm playing it, where where it's like. I became I am so used to the military shooter being this one set piece, like narrow funnel thing, uh, with just the illusion of space that like Medal of Honor Airborne, I'm playing it and I'm like, well, if they'd stayed like this, I would be much more into the genre. <laughs> like it's actually a really cool approach. Um, but I feel like I've never seen a game really go that way since. Is this, is this kind of what ODST did? Like, I, I know there's like, been, yeah, it's been a while. Hello. I mean, ODST, uh, the one, the jazzy soundtrack is, is, is a delight. Um, but yeah, you know, I believe, uh, my recollection of ODST is like, it has a bit of a, like hub and spoke model where like, you're coming back to this area and going out and mm-hmm. doing things as opposed to just being funneled linearly. I, my memory of it is not as expansive as what you describe yeah. in airborne where it's like, Hey, here's a combat encounter you know, here's a couple different ways you could go about it and like reward player creativity. Like I think this was more just a, Hey, like it feels more like you're in a broader world space as opposed to just going from A to Z and then the new A to Z. Yeah. Um, so okay. I don't think it was as ambitious um, in that regard. Yeah. No, I can say that. So once you got in the spoke, you're still like in, I think so. Yeah. Level. That's yeah. yeah. You're playing a halo level. Um, it's yeah. just like, it, it, like the, the structure of it, was deployed a little bit differently as opposed to like upending too much of, um, I mean, it's still a good game, but yeah, air, yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause like, was there, did they even make a metal lot of her after air? I mean, I know they did the reboot, the really shitty reboot years later, Yeah, but was there one after airborne or was airborne? The kind of like, end like, ah, modern warfare came in and was like, Hey, I think it might've been the last what, one. What, like- what if we do this? I'm not sure. It might have been like among the last ones for the mainstream consoles, at least. You know what I mean? Like it might have right. been the end of it as a triple A uh, franchise. But yeah, it's just it, it's it's so weird because it it's like I 
I can see why this game got overlooked, but as, as, as is often the case, it's like while the idea was played out in terms of like source material and where you're drawing your inspirations from, like the approach they take to game design uh, gets really fresh here. I think somebody wrote in a question a little while ago asking me like what I thought of the um, Brothers in Arms series, which I think is another uh series that comes to a really interesting answer about what to do with the world war ii shooter uh at this point where brothers in arms is like we're gonna make a first person squad tactics game um and i think it's kind of a a shame that like call of duty and the modern warfare like trilogy kind of eat these games as lunch uh, in part because like it's more relevant to like the stuff that's dominating the news at the time. It just seems like it's full of like newer and fresher ideas. But in terms of like games I'd be interested in playing and like ideas for games that I would like to see more of, it's like, okay, so the Brothers in Arms series and and the tail end of this uh, this iteration of Medal of Honor, they're all doing interesting things. Um, but it's like too little too late almost, and they kind of get left behind. Yeah, I was, I was yeah, Airborne was the last uh one that was made by EA LA, which I think is what Dreamworks Interactive turned into. Um yeah. Uh uh and then that was 2007, 2010 is when they make the very um <laughs> poorly conceived uh Medal of Honor reboot um that had I didn't even know it got a sequel, Medal of Honor Warfighter. They made another one of those? Sure. Fine, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But the the, la- the actual last Medal of Honor game is Medal of Honor Heroes 2, a game for the PSP and Wii. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, they, and then, but then they brought it back for that that cool documentary that you wrote a piece about attached to a game that I think was roundly believed to be pretty bad, <laughs> despite being made by Respawn. Yeah, but it was a VR game, right? So it's Respawn yes. being like, we can figure this out, and maybe they didn't quite... No, from what I understand, that's above and beyond, which is what it was called. It was not not worth your time. <laughs> um, so that's what I've been that's what I've been up to, just like deep in the past. Um, just completely <laughs> tuned out from what's happening. Kato, what's happening? What are you playing? You trustworthy Kato, noble Kato. <laughs> uh you surely Natalie's are not here new. to be the uh, YMO young. YMC young, young millennial, millennial, young millennial correspondent. <laughs> correspondent. Natalie's not here. The Clark are closest to the people. Yeah, is not me. I'm I'm a father, very out of touch. We kind of what? Tell us what are the what are the kids doing? What are you doing? Not 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 the, the kids aren't doing what I'm doing. Um, but <laughs> oh, I oh, oh saucy Cotto. <laughs> what are you up to? Uh, because it was embargoed. They don't have access yet uh i have oh oh damn son (laughs) i'm also i'm also pretty deep into something the kids don't have access to Uh, (laughs) i don't mm, uh i've been playing uh inscription i'm still pretty early on but i'm really enjoying what i've seen of it so far uh surprise it's a fucking <laughs> roguelike tech say, builder s- s- Simpsons <laughs> meme say it, say it Kato say it roguelike tech builder <laughs> yay <laughs> um and it except this one this one is a, I, I, this game had a sick trailer yeah I think we watched at E3 yes. or I think it was during the Devolver yeah, um, yeah it's presentation a Devolver where, where even 
look, if the if the if the there are two extremes, there is uh there is Kato in which you 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 say <laughs> roguelike deck builder and he appears like Candyman. <laughs> um uh and there's me who like I hear that and I'm like r- running for the exits. Like I yeah. cannot, I cannot, you know, I, I don't mind playing them, but like I feel like I'm surrounded in a in, like a padded room full of deck builder <laughs> roguelikes that I cannot escape. But this one had like a sick horror like vibe. Like it just had the whole aesthetic was yes. like, okay, like I will play whatever this game is serving up to me mechanically. Um and they had a demo out on the uh like the most recent like Steam whatever demo fest or whatever they had that um i think you and i had access to but didn't get around to playing and so i've been waiting to hear how you responded to this one to see if this was worth me digging into given that i I play like one or two of these a year so i'm what do you what do you make i mean i think i think you'll love the vibes it's got great spooky vibes um it's really awesome because it is i guess the way to describe it would be fully diegetic so it's a deck-like rogue builder where you're sitting across from a shadowy figure who's the only thing you can see of them is their eyes and sometimes their hands kind of pop into view. But Ooh. you're sitting at a table in a wooden cabin playing this card game. And at first, like, that's all you're doing. Like, the t- the play happens in front of you. You have uh, four lanes uh, and you have to place down uh these uh, creature cards. They're all just like woodland animals of certain <laughs> different types at first. And um, the first one you get is a squirrel. Does zero attack, has one defense, uh, pretty useless. And They're pretty good at chewing up the furniture on my deck, though. Yeah. So I, I, I want to shout out to the squirrels that have been slowly <laughs> telling me that actually you're going to have to replace this wicker furniture um, because no human that is not the ones that own this house are going to want to sit on this anymore. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, but the anyway. uh, next card up that you have is, for example, a stoat. And the stoat requires a sacrifice. You have to kill one of your creatures on the board in order to play it. And this is basically one of the big the the big kind of resource mechanics is that in order to play cards, you have to sacrifice things that are on the board already. Um, some cards will eventually use death tokens, which is basically every time something dies on your on your board, you get a little bone. So you can trade in bones for other also as a as a secondary resource for certain specific cards that require bones. And the way damage is tracked is uh, a set of scales on the, on, on the table. And basically every time you deal one damage to the uh, shadowy figure, uh, gold's tooth drops onto the scale. Uh, every time you get dealt damage, a gold tooth drops on your side of the scale. So it's the first to get to six damage total, like on, on their end, right? Like, so, you know, if you, if you're doing equal damage, you can kind of, go on forever but eventually you know it tips the scales tip one way or the other um and the kind of meta structure here though is that at a certain point you learn you can stand up from the table and you can walk around this like single room that you're in and there's lots of random interactables there's a a chest some puzzle boxes uh Things tied to the wall uh, where you assume you'll eventually get a key to unlock them. Um, and so you interact with what you can. And you sit back down. You keep playing the game. Eventually, you will lose. And uh, 
the shadowy figure will throw you into a room. There's a one door in this room where you're playing, and on the other side, there's just flashing light. You end up in that room. The shadowy figure makes you make your death card, where you basically construct a new card out of uh, bits and pieces from other cards. You'll get a choice like, here's three cards. Choose which one of these you want to use the cost from. Um, so I, I got lucky on my first one. I chose, I got a squirrel in that draw. So my cost was of zero. Then, uh, the next one's like, choose the power and health from this creature. And I was like, okay, I got a wolf here. That's three power, two health. That seems fine. My, my death card will have three, two. And then the last bit is choose a sigil. And sigils are kind of like what you expect from Magic the Gathering, like keywords, like flying or, uh, um, one of them is called Waterborne, which is basically different uh, special effects that these cards have. And you basically, you create a card, and it's like, the last thing it says, like, oh, right, I never asked you what your name was. And you insert your name onto the card, and it's it's you. Like, the, he takes a photo with a, with, with a card, and it makes, like, a little silhouette of a person on there, basically. And then you start that loop over again. Now, as you continue on, cards start talking to you. Uh, Ooh, am I fighting for my soul here? What's the state? Yeah, we like, don't. Why am I... We don't know. Like, yeah, you're, uh, you're in, just in, the in cabin theory. You're trying to escape the... this horrible man. Okay, yeah, good. the man. vibe of this trailer is like the Seventh Seal by way of Edward Gorey. Uh, if <laughs> death is running a hobby shop, yeah, or just like hey, you know, just bust this out and throw this down on the table. I'll show you. I'll show you this game. It's yeah, real hot. It's real good. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. You're in a cabin. God knows where, and you're just. This is the. This seems to be the only way that you can get out. What's really fun is that on the like opening screen, you know, normally you got your options. You got your start new game, start continue. There is no option to start a new game. You're just continuing. So you're picking up where somebody else left off. Like the implication is always that this has been looping for forever. It's just like from the beginning, they've got like these vibes are just immaculately spooky. Um, uh, I feel like there's one bit that I wished uh, there was like maybe more of a war. Maybe there is something on the Steam page, but there is, and I, I will shout it out for our uh, listeners who might want to check this game out. There's an, uh, an item. Um, oh, I forgot to I forgot to mention. After you die the first time, you go back. You learn what the like actual uh, meta um, layer of this is. It's like very similar to what you uh, see from these games. A little map with branching paths. Each node is either a fight or some other event, um, and that just gets rolled out. It's just a map that gets rolled out onto the table in front of you. You have a little wooden token that you move up. Um, and that's those are the moments when the map is rolled out. Those are the moments you can get out of your chair and interact with things in the room. Um, so, uh, basically, it you know it it escalates the way any of these do. You learn about more and more card types. You learn about um, these things called totems, where um, basically the the creatures have kind of different uh, kinships that they uh, all. Um, um uh, belong to so like there's reptiles uh wolves birds and insects i think or not wolves it's mammals and so you can get this little totem which basically will give everything of one of those kinships a 
uh, special effect. I got what I think is maybe broken and really lucky. I got undying squirrels, which means every time the most common. You said that's the like the, your starter card, right? Um, well, essentially, what the squirrels, um, you have two decks to draw from. One of them is like animals that are actually useful that the, that will deal damage, and then the second pile is squirrels because that's just your resources for sacrificing to get to these other animals. Mm. Um, so you always have access to squirrels. I got this thing called Undying Squirrels, where whenever a squirrel dies, no matter how it dies, it goes back into my hand. So, <laughs> yeah, it feels broken-ish. Here's the thing, though. There's only four slots that you can play cards into. So at most, I would have to have four... If I have four um, squirrel cards, I could play something that's worth four costs. I actually haven't found anything worth four costs yet. The biggest thing I saw was three. Um, but then that takes up a slot. So the next thing I can play is only going to be three or three or two, right? right? Like at a certain point you fill your board and you have to sacrifice what's there or let it die before you can play more things. So it's not as broken as having infinite resources sounds like it would be, but it did kind of open the game up. Like I, I've gone through the first two bosses at this point. There are boss encounters where you have to beat, you have to beat, you have to hit the, the tipping point twice in order to go and they have like special like totems that they use um but it's it's like a seem it's one of those you know it's seemingly simple there's not it it feels like at first not a lot happening there because you have such a limited um kind of play like play space like there's only four slots you can only ever have four things at most on the board and you have to pl- kind of play around those constraints you can only attack like your your characters basically your your creatures only attacked the lane like the the space in front of them um and so part of it is like you know you want placement you want an open lane or if you're trying to mm-hmm. stop something from coming down you want to put something there um but as it goes on, they start to introduce more and more of these sigils, which are like, for example, this creature's waterborne. That means like an otter uh, will have mm-hmm. waterborne on it. It'll attack, and then on the enemy's turn, it will be underwater, which means it's not going to take any damage for you. It won't protect, but it will keep attacking and stay safe, and you can you know keep that up. There's one that's called, like, the moles. I forget exactly what the actual sigil is called, but basically a mole will appear if there's ever an empty space and something's attacking into it. It will appear there and take the hit. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can place them wherever you want, but they'll always, like, show up if anything's about to, like, get through. Um, all sorts of things. And there's, like, a there's a manual on the desk next to you. And then in the manual, there's also scribblings from other people. There's like notes, and some of these things uh, give hints to the puzzles that are in the room, um, and it's just really fun. And the thing I was gonna mention is, um, uh, one of the nodes on the the map is like this, um, uh, this like witch in the woods that will give you items, and one of the items you can get is a set of pliers, and it doesn't tell you what the set of pliers does. Um, although once you see that the, the weights on the, on the scales of damage are teeth, 
Um, mm, that's gonna be my guess. <laughs> you can that's imply where, that's where most of these horror movies go with a set of pliers. With a set of pliers, right? So, like, w- warning: if you have any teeth thing, this game is. Uh, yeah, teeth are kind of used as the scales for damage, and then the plier thing specifically does have you pull out a tooth to place onto the scale. Um, I feel like that, um, <laughs> sure, yes, uh, certainly warning for people who have, uh, you know, uh, associated phobias. I think that's just unsettling, uh, regardless of where, yeah. I, I got no problems with the dentist, like, yeah. I can do that just fine, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to pull a pliers, uh, I feel like it mouth. should tell you, uh, <laughs> I think it's like, fine, have the thing be explicit, and like, it's creepy, and just let it, because it doesn't say what's going to happen when you click the pliers, uh-huh. right? Oh, then yeah. suddenly, those pliers come flying towards the camera, <laughs> and yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. I, yeah, I don't. I didn't have anything. So like for me, it was like a fun moment. But then after the second after, I was like, oh god, if somebody does, like, there's no warning mm-hmm. that that's coming. Mm-hmm. As far mm-hmm. as that sort of thing goes, that's kind of been the only like surprise. Everything else is like pretty well uh, signal. Like there isn't that much. It's just kind of spooky vibes from there out. Um, right. There's lots of uh, interesting. Uh, Things happening with cards that start popping up that can talk, and they're like aware of the situation. They're also trying to get out of like it seems like they've their past souls. Like the stoat has been around for a while, and he's like trying to get you to follow certain paths. So it's not just like there's the like end game of like you're making like, it like through the map based on like like you're kind of picking up quests that you can follow kind of, the map yeah. based on like what these characters are suggesting you're to you. being guided to maybe not play the game as much and like take a look in the room sometimes more often like trying to figure out if there's a different way out uh which is interesting i wonder whether or not like how that's going to pan out like I'm, again i'm not super far into this game um so i don't know if there is only the you play through it does does the game end does does the shadowy figure just have endless maps for you or will there be it's some not, it other end. twist I've, there was a i'm, a, I'm sure I they're mean, ending I, i'm just kind of curious what yeah. the ending will be is it you play through enough of the maps or will you end up right 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 collaborating right. with these talking cards in a way that gets you around it or something like there's God, an I interesting so. open space here right now at the beginning first couple hours so or you fall you fall in love with your captor, um, and uh, God. it turns out turns out there's a bed for you in this little cabin. Yeah, and you know you're just here. <laughs> you're and just like, here. You open the you open the door and you and you let the next one in. Yeah, uh, when you're here, your your family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's yeah, not super cool. It's really where, really uh, neat. The, the last question uh, I would ask is where where does this fall on the? Uh, I'm casually interested in roguelike deck builders um accessibility like is this is it it, how difficult is this one probably hard for you to say because like you know you play a lot of these like me me answering me a platformer question it's like i don't know just like learn how your fingers work (laughs) yeah Um, it's it's really like how how difficult does this one seem like to, to 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 get into if you kind of just casually play the genre i think it it's gonna depend on um how you sort of grok um card mechanics in general like Mm. one big thing that i hit upon is like the kind of cadence of like what is worth sacrificing in order to get bigger cards out like sometimes it might seem like oh but this thing is doing damage i don't want to get rid of it and you might like work yourself into a corner of like 
not playing things when you should. And so I feel like right. that's really the thing is like this specific mechanic of like replacing older cards um, isn't the easiest to kind of get a handle on at first. But I think they the drip at what they introduce new mechanics is slow enough that, you know, if you're interested in card games already, this is definitely going to be for you. Um, if you dislike card mechanics at all, this is a card mechanic ass one of these. Like this is about, uh, you know, you're going to be most familiar with it if you've ever played any of the other, um, not even the roguelike ones, just like any, like if you've played Magic, if you played Hearthstone, whatever, you'll really understand kind of what what's happening going into this i I um, bought some magic packs as a kid because i wanted to get a rare one and then <laughs> never learned how to play oh. it but i will say the the vibes are immaculate and you can probably get pretty far just like on exploring through like all the spooky yeah, gonna, shit yeah, that I, happens I in there yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have sure. it downloaded. So, so I'm gonna I'll check it out this week to see where 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 I end up landing. Yeah. on it. Like uh, like I wonder how far I can kind of, if not necessarily brute force my way, but like how much how much can the the atmosphere carry me to then want to care about the mechanics to a degree of like being able to make that tangible progress. I don't know. Yeah. So okay, yeah. I, I will download this week and we will we'll reconvene uh, on 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 Thursday. Friday. Thursday, Thursday. For I us, love Friday the roguelike deck builder genre is now trying to trick Patrick into playing. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah. Like disguising, I, 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 disguising I like, vegetables is a delicious dessert. <laughs> I don't. I I don't mind them. I just they don't. I I'm very choosy. on like the sure. like I really loved like SteamWorld Quest from uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Like that that game. Like I yeah I built decks. Like I don't like I don't I don't like doing that shit. Generally speaking, um, or at least I I don't. I don't have the brain for like thinking through like builds in that sort of way. And so like, I work much better with like what's in front of me, like give me the thing to Mm -hmm. deal with in front of me, as opposed to like thinking on the meta layer. I, I, I frequently, it's what this also like explains why I don't like strategy games. Like, like I, I work so much better with like, give me something to work with in front of me. But like, if I'm having to think so long term in that degree, I, that that's where just like my brain, uh, uh, fails me. And so, um, yeah, so I do like them occasionally, but this one, this one, yeah, the trailer was so striking yeah. that I've I've been sitting and staring at it, um, and I just haven't haven't quite booted it up yet. It's it's the perfect season. They they picked the pitch perfect time to drop this thing. It just fits yeah. right into the stock stocking stocktober in a different stock, sense. Yeah, they knew it. They heard stocktober <laughs> was happening, um, and decided to to get in. And the, the funny part is, is like on the one hand we have uh, uh Kato playing the most Kato game imaginable, and then. The, the quick game I want to shout out is just like the most Patrick game imaginable, uh, which is if you remember uh, Kato, I don't know which stream we were watching, but uh, that Alec head uh, game, um, oh. I, I, I believe you, uh, where it's like you play. So Alec head is a game that la- launched this week um, or is launching this week on, on Steam and Itch.io. Um, it's that like uh, it basically yeah, you're looks a, you're like a, Mega Man graphics. looks like, like Mega Man, but you're yeah, but like you're like uh, an electric man. Yeah, reject yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from from that series like the graphics are very very much like they're not you know it's it's playing in that space of it has an 8-bit aesthetic but playing with like a like a detail in yeah. the pixel count yeah. and animation <laughs> higher more pixels like more yeah pixels yeah there's it's doing way more but it's like playing in that same aesthetic yeah. play space and so the, the the base mechanic of of like like is yeah you are this um little kind of like socket character that wherever you touch 
you generate electricity. Um, and so um, it's not easy to start imagining like how you start building puzzles out of that where you have like, hey, there are uh, there, there's this uh, gear on the wall that only moves if you touch that wall. And so you have slide down the wall to bring down a piece on the other slide of the of the um, the level and then, you know, work your way over that and like doing different timing based puzzles based on like how you are um, where you step or jump like generates electricity. And then the game uh, multifies, uh, the, like how it's going to deploy those ideas where, uh, about, a, I don't know, 20 minutes in, you get the ability to throw your head. And so <laughs> you can toss your head forward. It's pretty much forward or backwards or up. Like it's not, it's not too more complicated than that, but then you get into situations where you're tossing your head cause you want a very specific part of the level to generate electricity, right. but then you can control your body for 10 seconds. There's a countdown timer that comes up and it's like, <laughs> you have 10 seconds to get back to your head before both sides explode. Oh my God. Um, and it's just the pulse. It's, it's such a tightly contained game. It's, uh, it is clearly only going to take, I've played, I think three fourths of it in less than an hour. Like it's a game that's nice. really meant to yeah. be played about 90 minutes, two hours max. Lovely. The puzzles are love it <laughs> every single time. You feel like a fucking genius, um, and they're just just I there there are multiple times where I solved a puzzle and it, fe- it like scratched up just against where I wanted to look it up and like I I have that familiar feeling of well I just never would have thought of that um, and so I can't beat myself up that I didn't come up with the solution move on to the next one um, and that just never quite happens the game just gets right up to the edge of that. And eventually you'll figure it out within because it's it, the mechanics are so simple. Mm. Like there's just not much you can do. You can run, you can things generate electricity when you when you touch them, and that that doesn't apply to your body when you are separated from the head. But your head is always generating electricity. It's like you can throw that up, forward, and backwards. You can separate from the body, and then you have a but. If you hit, tap a button, you can explode, and that just resets the the puzzle and sends you back to a checkpoint. And like that's it. Like that's all you're working with. And as far as I can tell there's nothing else that the game is going to be including. It's now just sort of complicating those, those base level mechanics. And it's just a, it's just a delight. It's nice to play a game that is very tight and contained has like zero fat. It is, it is just is what it is. It is executing on that to the highest degree. Um, uh, and like, it's just, it's really, really good. Like that's, that's really all to say about it. Like there are multiple times where I wanted to capture uh, I wish I'd just been capturing as I was playing because, like, I'd get to the end of the puzzle. I was like, I just want to show even someone that doesn't give a shit about yeah. these games. Like, th- it just looks fucking cool, yeah. the solution. And it's like, you would just appre- be able to appreciate it even if you have no interest in playing these style of games. But if you if you like these style of games, if you're you're like me, uh, like, I c- cannot recommend uh, Elekhead enough. It is, it, is, it is probably sneaking into my, like, top 10 of the year despite being a game that I'll spend a fraction of the time with compared to anything else <laughs> i play this year like and i think that's part of the appeal is like if you want to get in and get out on something that's just smart knows what it is and doesn't doesn't waste much uh, much time uh elekhead is a comes with the highest of recommendations all right uh we're gonna take a quick break and the second half of the show we're going to uh close the loop on ted lasso uh last time we checked in we we're at a pivotal point in the season a bunch of crucial plot developments happen um, an experimental episode occurred that I think we have some divergent <laughs> reactions to. Uh, and then the final boss slash true villain of Ted Lasso was revealed. So we're going to get to that right after the break. Hold up. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. All right, so when last we left Ted Lasso, Coach Beard was heading off into the night. Yeah. And we and we had just learned, I guess, heads up, obviously, we're going to spoil fucking everything and Ted Lasso start to finish yep. finale. So just, you know, be ready for that if somehow you're worried or aren't prepared. But, right, like we had just had the revelation that uh, Ted, his father, um, took his life like early, when he was like a teenager. 16. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was, he was very young and had that kind of like big introspective moment they've lost that uh tournament uh, uh play uh like just got completely like fucking depanced like just like lost like 4-0 or, or something like that um and yeah beard needs to go drink it just he needs to go something he goes into the <laughs> night and ted uh heads on to the bus and uh uh goes back with with the team and i think that's where we set up like the final four episodes yeah. or four ish episodes um Let's let's talk about co- the 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 Coach Beard episode though because it is both it's divisive but it's also um, it typifies a weird thing that happened with this production of Ted Lasso which is that apparently uh, I think we might have talked about this last time but Apple extended the series order uh, on them and so they had um, a ten episode run mm-hmm. planned. Well, and from what I understand, the scripts were like the the se- the season was plotted, the season was what it was, and then. Apple's just like, hey, make t- two more. And so that's where we get the Christmas episode that feels totally <laughs> and weirdly out of out of place. Yeah. Um, and then and then we get the, the beard episode, which is totally and weirdly out of place. I'm not necessarily ascribing positive or negative to that, but it, it is definitely like they feel if like there was a timeline of episodes like these ones jut out in a in a in a in a strange way that kind of like take us off even the arcs that were, you know, all the arcs we're dealing with with the various characters. So, Patrick, I know you didn't like it. Did not, uh, care. yeah, did Kato, not. Like, what was your yeah. reaction? I also didn't like it. I, it, it crossed a couple lines. In certain parts that happened, I'm like, I expect someone to jump off. Out of a off of a building into a trash can and survive in an action show and not in a sort of like comedy drama thing that Ted Lasso is and it was just like bits like that that felt the amount of leaps of logic yes. where characters just showing like it so much and also I think it was because the episode was like Ted Lasso did this a couple of times this this season especially where it's like hey you were at your best when you were really trying to hit that thirty minute mark and. Yeah. Stretching to an hour is where you start is, you know, it's easy to do in the streaming era. But like that was one of the reasons like the first season worked as well as it did was just like get in, get out, like hit your marks. And and like there was just no fat on that that first season. And this season, like multiple times are like, but what if we were 47 minutes long? And I think that's part of how they get themselves 
into trouble. I don't think that's the problem with that episode. I just didn't buy, like, I like that character. I was happy for them to have a little adventure. I, I wonder, Rob, I mean, a positive theory. Um, one of the reasons people really liked this episode's, uh, one, it was written by, uh, or co-written by, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but Roy, um, I believe co-wrote, co-wrote this episode. He runs a film podcast that I have heard is very good and very insightful. (laughs) And this episode itself is a huge homage to a bunch of cinema that all the references went completely over my head. I didn't, so I can't care or not care for them. So I almost, I do wonder as someone that I know takes the cinema, uh, like cinema history more seriously and more methodic than I do. Was that part of why this episode landed for you? Because it was like what it was paying tribute to. I think that's less, to be fair, I think you're onto something. I don't think it was registering it to me as like, ah, it's, it's making homages here to like, uh, Tati's Masir Hulot, uh, for, for instance, might be what it's most directly echoing, but I'm not, I'm not seeing that in the, in the moment and being like, yes, well played. (laughs) Um, Okay. All right. But it is, but I, I do appreciate the vibe it's going for, which is like the slightly, uh, surreal, more cinematic approach to trying to map out the inner life of a character. I maybe appreciated the ambition more than the execution because I think mm. here's my diagnosis of where the episode's issues are. I think the thing that made me so excited for it and had me really on board for the first few minutes of it was that the episode scared me a little bit. There's there's something about the way that Brendan Hunt plays Beard um, is that it always feels like a character, and we see flashes of it, who like still waters running very deep, uh, but there might be like a really dark side to this character. Or a yeah, I feel like that's something life. we don't know about right. that character yet. Like, and it's not revealed in season two, but like in the same way that Ted has was revealed to have this really defining, darkly traumatic moment that informs everything about how he has proceeded the rest of his life. It does feel like, and maybe that's where the relationship with that, you know, that his girlfriend is going at some point. We're going to, some shoe is going to drop with that character and we haven't had it yet, but you know, you, I'm with you. Like, is it like, if it's revealed that like beard is actually some sort of psychopath at some point, like I'm not going to be like fully shocked. Well, I mean, this is the thing. So the entire episode, like to me at first, it began to feel like at every stage, it feels like it's breaking with reality. Um, and at a certain point, I was like, okay, we might be fully in Beard's, like, con- like interior consciousness right now, and none of this is real. Because none of it feels real. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like, uh, we see characters from other, uh, like, the, the dudes from the pub and such. All of them repurposed at various points in this. Um, but the way they come in is kind of unconvincing. And then, yeah, like, there's a point where... Uh, you know, Beard flees a woman's apartment onto the roof of her like 12 story uh, apartment building and jumps off it. And I'm like, did Beard just throw himself off a building? Like, are we going to like, is he going to snap out of it and wake up and he's done something horrible? And no, he just literally like, yeah, fell into a dumpster and dust himself off. And then uh, by happenstance runs into Jamie Tart's evil dad. Uh, and gets the shit kicked out of him before being rescued by the guy who was chasing him out of that woman's apartment, uh, who sure did seem like, uh, like stare, like stacked Roy Kent, I suppose is the way I put it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I think I, I enjoy the ambition of it, but I think it didn't have, 
for one thing, I think it actually shied away from maybe what I was most interested in getting at with this character, which is like, why does this guy seem so off? Um, and at the opening, we kind of get to it where, you know, he keeps having these, he's, he's beating himself up for that horrible loss. Um, he imagines the TV is always talking to him and sort of mocking him and like saying, you know, you always knew that they were doing the wrong thing. You just didn't speak up. I dig all that. But then in the end, it doesn't really do much with it. Um, and yeah. at the end, it's like, oh, and by the way, all of this was somehow real, even though it makes no sense. And then we return to him showing up for the morning debrief. And, you know, because this is a standalone episode that was ordered late in production, um, it's not going to have any resonance really beyond that. Hmm. Um, do we? That, yeah. I wasn't. Am I misremembering? Wasn't there a rom-com episode? Is that rom-com episode different from the Christmas episode? Or am I... Is the rom-com that one episode is different. Rom-communism yeah, rom is different. Rom-com and Christmas are the two that I would have picked as extra. Rom-com, though, they that that's serving plot action by getting Roy Kent onto their sideline as the coach. That's right. the whole point of that episode. Right. This one nothing changes like they true, go back true. to that morning meeting and like everyone's in the exact same place you left them um i feel like we're so, supposed to yeah it's like you're meant to take away something about what the type of person that coach beard is when you when he's not around right right when he's not on the job basically um yeah. but yeah right and, and and we do but it's nothing's very surprising right yeah. and we're not really convinced by like the night he's passed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's there's moments that are surprising to people who, th who think that like, because he barely talks on the job and then he like pulls that thing in the bar where he's like fast talking them into a situation. Like he's like playing it suave as like this, prof like totally fake. An this Irish professor. academic. Yeah. And like a particular, and yeah. it fucking works. Like he, he gets them, he gets them through into this, club that is only for like you know elite uh, college i forget exactly what but like he does all these things that someone who barely talks you might not think would be able to do and that's the one thing that's kind of surprising at first but it ends up not like by the end you're like oh that's just because he's got two different like right this is off on the clock and off the clock are two different people but that's the most i feel like it you kind of take away from it um it's just like I kind of wish it, I kind of wish it had just gone for, like further, like le at least yes. right. It like have him sit down in front of the TV and like doo -doo 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 -doo, and like we're clearly entering a surrealist like fantasy, and it's 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 grounded still in how he views himself and like how he would like to act in the world, and they can they can play with those emotions. But then I feel like then they could have just gone further with it, right. and it could have been yeah. even f more over the top, and also just allow the viewer to sort of buy-in like that i think i had the same problem with kato and like wow like i wanted to like it because i was like oh yeah. cool like this character that is usually just a one-line machine yeah um who acts as like a, a a foil for for ted's character um like and they're his like kind of one-dimensionality at least until we've given him a little more depth throughout season two uh great like that's that i'm fi i'm fine with this being like a like a completely off the books exploration of this character that inform like better like at the end of it you want it to inform like the rigidness that he otherwise displays and i just don't know that like any of that happens like by the end of the episode and if it is going to just be a flight of fancy like 
let's fucking go for it. Like yeah. take, take, take Apple's like, like giant checkbook and like go do something a little bit like wilder. Like this plays in both spaces. And then I think ultimately undermines like its ability to like pull off like a goofy character episode or to provide any like sort of introspection or like long lasting introspection into to beard or even like real reflection on like what happened, like him as a coach. Like, yeah. It's- yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Of course people on the TV program is going to be like, what a dumbass! Like that's what they're paid to do. Like that's how the cycle works. But we don't get any sort of like understanding. Of like why does Beard, th- you know? Whereas opposed, like season two is a giant like mirror to Ted Lasso and his approach to his life and to coaching and this specific coaching job. Like we don't get like you know a ton of that with him here, and we don't. I don't think they advance the ball too too much further um, by the end of this episode. Yeah, and I, I think that's the really the the frustrating thing is yeah, it's neither it's neither fanciful enough in the way like it, you know it, it could have veered into complete like uh, Cohen Brothers esque surrealism where like now he's in entirely in a realm of metaphor, but like still it all matters. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could have gone in the direction where, and this is certainly where I thought it was going, which was like all of this is an interpretation. Uh, through like a sort of uh overstressed, um, <laughs> an over an overstressed and slightly ill mind, uh, interpreting the space he currently inhabits. I figured like be a Mister Robot thing, right? Where like mm. there is an underlying reality here that is fucked up, and we are seeing a representation of it, but the we're gonna have to sort of prize apart what veneer uh is being placed on concrete reality here and the end that's not what this episode is doing in the end it just is like yep uh he's an interesting uh weird guy who has a lot of self-doubt and is in a toxic relationship um and that's it and it's like well we already knew that so i don't know like decent effort but i think they needed i i think they were a little too the funny thing is i think they probably could have done a bit more developing of like who beard is without disturbing the arc of the series because the nature of that character is he's a guy kind of likes to play keep his cards close to the vest and Mm -hmm. doesn't is a bit passive um so we could have learned a lot about him and it still wouldn't have like registered as weird if the rest of the season unfolds uh as it does uh the rest of that season though i think did get pretty interesting uh pretty fast i think uh the God, there's there's kind of three major arcs in in my view. It's like you have the signs of cracks that are really weird at first, but like strange cracks in the relationship between uh, Roy and Keeley. Hate it, hate it. I know exactly what they're going for. Like, didn't I? So I sort of like where it ends. I, I like where like Roy as a like he's not even though he's not like Ted is the primary character. In actuality, I think the most interesting examinations of masculinity are happening through Roy and how he processes like his own emotions and his yeah. relationship with a partner that supports him and challenges him and like is giving him space to figure. And like, I like where the season ends with can he be okay with a woman who loves him, like cherishes him, but doesn't need him and yeah. kind of needs her own space? Like, that's a really cool place to end it. But boy, at no point did I – I didn't need them to go through the uh, are we breaking up like arc. That just – that felt unnecessary tension to just get us to 
where, and maybe this is the, you know, the, the charge of season two of Ted Lasso as a whole, the challenge of the second chapter of a like yeah. plan three chapter structure is like, you're just moving chess pieces around. Yeah. And, um, they needed to get them to a place where there's a conflict and it's really Roy's conflict to like inner conflict to deal with. And again, I really like where they end up with him as a, as a character. I just like, didn't, I was rolling my eyes at like, I was like, you, you, you two fuckers love each other. Yeah. Like you're going to be okay. Like I'm not buying that you're breaking up. I am buying that Roy's about to have like a big existential crisis. And I think that's really interesting to explore, but like at no point was I like, you know, when they're having the moment on the couch at the photo shoot. That would have, like, come on. It felt like that would have had to happen much earlier, you know? Like exactly. they had already like established had, yes. them yes. too strongly as like being truly in love and like good for each other in a certain way that the dip came a little too late. It was like, oh, but this he is going to be had the a moment. Dip, not like an actual yeah. break, right? This is just going to be. He just had the moment where he gets down on one knee and he's like, where he the photos weren't in the magazine like piece. And he's like, no. Like, that's great, and I'm happy for you, and the people, you know, yeah. people will recognize, like, how yeah. fucking great. And I was like, yeah, this is not a guy who is, like about, like, about to, like, watch his world fall apart with this woman who clearly has made him a better person. Right. They make each other stronger. Yeah. Like, like, like I don't buy that at all. And that just felt, that just felt cheap. Like, we need, that we need to build some tension as we get to, to the, you know, to the final episode. Yeah. See, I'm not... The thing that interests me is that I think they might actually be breaking up. Like, I think at the end of the season when, like, you know, he's booked this, like, long getaway and she's like, I can't go. And he has that panic again. Like, are we breaking up? And this is all in his head. Um, There's nothing coming from Keeley. We're like, well, that's not entirely true. She had a brief moment, I think, during the Photoshop again, photo, Photoshop, photo shoot. <laughs> um, they're good performers they have a series of confessions where she like tells him that like she had a weird encounter with Nate we'll get to that in a second um but then he had I mean this is this is such a well executed scene he recognizes that he spent the afternoon flirting with his niece's teacher yeah um and being like genuinely like truly attracted to this woman and in that conversation when she asked him are you married he just said no and didn't go beyond that and it feels off to him. He feels like everything about that is weird. He's sort of like dealing with the ramifications of like that flirtation and like the little like hint of infidelity uh, that surrounds it. And I love like, you know, she answers that with a response that like at a funeral that we'll talk about in a second, uh, Jamie sort of confessed his love uh, to to Keeley and sort of ends with them both recognizing that there are actual threats to their relationships there's things they do not feel resolved about um and so the the photo shoot proceeds uncomfortably with now there's a distance between them that wasn't there and i think what i like here at the end is that i think what what i'm starting to realize is it's not just that i I think you're right that like roy is realizing like keely doesn't need him but i think there's another aspect which is that they're the quintessential in different stages of their life a uh, couple like there's a part of Roy. I think this is kind of what's underlying that moment with the teacher. He's kind of ready to get out of the fast lane and like have a much She's more on settled. the ascent. And he, yeah, he's he, he spent the ascent in his youth. Yeah. Like that's how athletics works right. is like you spend your teen years and your 20s on the top of the world. Your body gives and then you move into a different phase of your life. Whereas 
she's in a more traditional career route where you spend your 20s figuring out your career and then she's found like a satisfying one, is talented at it, and she's going to spend her 30s and 40s going on that ascent. Right. And so that's where I found this like this is the thing I, 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 I did find a little more resonant, a little more convincing is that at the end, I'm convinced like, yeah, they love each other. But what he wants, I think, is to be a stay at home dad type character. Right. And like just hanging out and having a, a, a quieter, smaller life. And her career is taking her in this direction of a much faster, uh, much more like jet setting. Uh, type life and that part I, I wonder if a potential pregnancy will be some sort of way of examining that whole logic yeah. in the third season of like a pregnancy scare or something like that where she like oh i mean this this it. series is gonna the, someone's getting pregnant by the end of the series like <laughs> i mean it is ted lasso's many things but, uh, but i i do not see us avoiding yeah a uh, pregnancy arc complete. What if it's with, Beard's partner, though? So, like, <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be very funny. Uh, but yeah, I, I could I could see that. But I, but I did find like the way their relationship currently seems rocky for no good reason. I think was interesting because the thing that was going to annoy me was that they just go on the full love triangle thing, where it's like, right. oh, is it Jamie or Roy? I was yeah, like, fuck that. that. Like, there's worse. no con- there's no contest there. Like, no. Jamie's a guy who is working on himself, but even his confession there is still like, hey, I feel like I'm really working on myself, and I think we should get back together. Like, it's still like you're still. You didn't a kid. need to tell Keely that you love her. You could have just acknowledged that internally and then yeah. not disrupted her fucking life. Right. Uh, so that would. <laughs> That would have pissed me off. I'm glad they avoided that, but I think what they've what they've hit on is a more interesting conflict, which is that, yeah, just their their the two phases of their lives are are misaligned in a way they weren't when they became a couple, and now there's this divergence uh, that is happening happening independently of their like growing intimacy uh, emotionally. I kind of I kind of dug that. I'm, I'm I'm with you. I just didn't need the like bog standard. Oh yeah, like TV drama of like. The flirtation with the teacher and Jamie, like saying, he, like I just it, that just felt like we need they needed steps to get there, and there were ways of getting there that didn't require. It's specifically, like, will they or won't they? It was specifically, I think the the way that they cliffhangered the photo shoot that yeah. felt a little yeah. bit like, yeah. oh come on, that's what yeah. I'm like. I know right. this is going to get resolved exactly. immediately exactly. and exactly. get to the actual underlying tension, which is what Rob yes. is appreciating yeah. yes. here. But it, like it was like, did we have to do? You know, the bullshit, you know, and sometimes I, I appreciate the bullshit. Like, like <laughs> even though it's the same way, uh, you know, you watch a horror film and you like, why are they making all the bad choices? Like, that's part. That's why that's why it works. Like, I know that it's like it's easy to yell at that. And so, may, so sometimes tropes exist because they even though they are tropes, they they exist to to form uh, to, to serve a function. And I just I just don't know that maybe they felt they needed that to get there. But it did feel like it was actually more just indicative of like weird wheel spinning happening in a otherwise like very tightly wound series that pitched itself yeah. as three seasons, super tight. We know where everything is going. And it feels like season two was a lot of like, we're really excited to get to season three. Like, <laughs> but also the episodes um, are longer. We have a cast we love, but we can't give yes. everyone enough good scenes. Like Jamie Tart criminally underused for much of the season. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. And which I enjoyed, by the way, when he does apologize to Roy for that sort of wild out of the blue oh, that scene confession, fucking he gives a perfect apology. He totally understands like what he did, why he <laughs> yes. did it and why it was wrong. Um, and, and then Roy's response of just accepting it is 
it's beautiful, but being angry that he has to accept it because he's also grown as a character. And like, that's you can't like, even chew him out. It's yeah, just no. like, like Jamie <sighs> knows exactly like the ways in which he was selfish and overstepped. Um, and yeah, it was, it was perfect. Um, I think one of the other, so I think one of the other arcs that defines the late season here is, um, what is Sam going to do? Because at the end of the season, an offer comes into play, which is that he's had a breakout year. Um, he has become a genuine star for Richmond. And we'd sort of asked ourselves, what's going to happen if business stuff begins to clash with the personal? And here we we have that happening where uh, Sam's also had a brief... Uh, like... They, he started he started a relationship with Rebecca and then she put it on hold uh to work through a lot of other issues and so she he sort of ended up like treading water uh in this in this break in this new relationship and in the meantime with his new stardom he's attracted uh interest from a uh, like from the wealthiest man in Ghana uh is the is the way he's described a a billionaire uh a a billionaire African uh, tech mogul who everyone thinks is going to come in and buy a Premier League team, but he actually has a much more ambitious idea, which is he is going to create a Pan-African powerhouse team based out of Casablanca. Um, I, I am so glad this arc went the way it did. Yeah. Because I was really worried that they were introducing the good woke billionaire. And I was mm-hmm. like, I think this guy's an asshole. And I'm not sure the show knows he's an asshole, but I'm like, I think he's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, and so th- this entire arc of him getting uh, Sam being offered the world on a plate. Uh, I thought the offer was interesting and the way it was made and sort of the disc, the, the sort of discourse deployed uh, in making that offer. I thought it was really fascinating. Uh, yeah, I just didn't like how Sam made like the, the phone call he has with his father. Like, what should I do? This seems like an you know an offer was like tailor made for me to go do something that'll be like personally fulfilling and like you know be closer to his family. Uh, his father says, "Well, you know, just wait for a sign." Cut to two seconds later, he looks to his right and somebody's wearing <laughs> like his uniform. Like that was just one of those kind of pat moments where I was like, okay, like I know what you're going for, like a show. Seems like there was a way to do it that wasn't look for a sign. And also his father like may as well have communicated that sign might be directly in front of you right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, it's just sort of like endemic, like emblematic of, you know, I feel like that that is that that same sort of issue is riffing in the same direction of complaints of like Roy and Keeley, where it's like, I like where you end up. I, yes. I, I see what you're going for. And despite the fact that you have like a longer running time and more episodes uh, to play with, it still feels like we skip beats conveniently to get to that place where like when I end up talking about it on this podcast, like I have all the warm, fuzzy feelings of like where I like where I ended it up and like feel less of the com- like complaints I have in the moment of being like, all right, well, that's a little like convenient um, in, in a way that doesn't feel like it needed to necessarily do. But I, I agree. And also like the I forget the actor who plays. The, the the billionaire but like he's like this comedian that start like 
really broke out on Veep um, years ago, and now he's in fucking everything. He was in Werewolves Within earlier this year playing a, a, a sheriff. He's Every time he shows up, I'm delighted, and he appears to be everywhere now in a way that uh, makes me personally extremely happy. Yeah, I'm... Kano, what did you make of the sales pitch? Uh, were you ever taken in um, or did were the red flags waving too strongly from the way the guy literally landed his helicopter on yeah. the middle of the practice field? Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't technically predict how it was going to end up should Sam say no, but I expected it. Like, um, the deal felt a little too good to be true in a way where it's just like oh but if you have the money to actually make this happen and uh i don't know you're not just giving it away i feel like you might be the type of person that ends up like an asshole billionaire right like yeah um it 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 did feel enticing enough though to make it a real question for sam and then like the 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 sign, yeah, I feel like that they could have still played it that way, but not had it been literally the scene that where he's on the phone with his father saying that. Like, he could have found that in himself of like, oh, I'm not done with this place. I want to build something here, Um, even though this offer seems... Like, it, it felt like in the end what the offer... The offer was skipping a few steps here through the fact that uh, this guy has like unlimited wealth as as far as the story is concerned. Um, and Sam taking being like, no, actually, I want to, I want to build that instead. I want to build something for myself. Um, and like, yeah, was- yeah, it's just like it was funny, but I pretty much expected it to end when end the way it ended when Sam ends up saying. No, and he just like fucking loses it. Like I did enjoy that they were like. By the way, Sam Richardson is the actor. They were like, "This is a good comedian, and we're just gonna let him." Yeah, yeah like yeah. we're just gonna let the camera roll while he just demolishes a set. <laughs> yeah, and chews up some scenery. Yeah, it. I feel like there was nothing written on the. If we doesn't like, feel like script, it. Yeah, it, it just feels like Sam. You know, do your thing <laughs> when he <laughs> grabbed when he grabbed the gift shop mannequin. Um, out of the uh, like off the wall and pantomime shitting on it, uh, in the hallway. I was, I was like, this is great. I'm glad we, I'm glad we got this. Um, yeah, and also I guess the other thing is, it also indicates sometimes the the facileness of Ted Lasso, uh, in a way that bugs me. Where like the thing that, yeah, so like he's on the phone with his dad. His dad's like, maybe the signs are all around you that you're where you need to be, and he sees kids wearing his jersey. And I'm like, I don't think Sam is that shallow. You know what I mean? Like, he's no. he's a thoughtful guy. Like, they wear everyone's jerseys. You know mm. what I mean? Like, yes, he's enjoying stardom. But there's a lot of people who are stars, but they don't see that translating into any sort of real-world political power. I mean, this is, like, it literally. It is also specifically the one where he's taped, where, where it's taped over. Like, it's not just, like, any jersey. It's the one that also has the symbolic gesture he made against um i forget oh i missed that yeah part. yeah it's it's but, the kids but have if anything that's just that's it. just a reminder of how little the season did right with that protest that should have been seemed like that was going to be the heart of like right now they like, like wrap it up so conflict. quickly but it's still you're trying to tell yeah. me like a like a, 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 a like a a, a high-end 
premier black athlete that takes a stand like that would not, especially given what we've seen happen, like just re- recently and like football over in Europe. Like, yeah. There would be some sort of public consequences right. for that. And like nothing, n- nothing like that. Cause the show, I mean, you know, the show also conveniently like ignores how Nate would probably be, be treated um, over there as well. Like the show is deeply uninterested. It may be to its benefit, like in just saying like, we're just really not going to touch race shit at all well, like it's just not a lane we're interested in touching and and it sort of it, it, over and over it reinforces that's not something this show is going to to deal with and it's going to kind of play fantastical in the we're just we're just going to act like these characters would be treated totally normally like a like an average white person and i mean that's just not true but also i don't know if i fault the show too much if it's communicating well, either we can't handle it or don't want to handle it. I think there. So I think that it does. It does kind of some strange things there. Like one on the other. On the one hand, uh, it wears like progressive politics on its sleeve, and it wants to acknowledge that these characters do come from these places, and there are these racial contacts. But then it doesn't want to, and I understand why, because it does want to be sort of uh, escapist entertainment in this way. Characters right. aren't going to run into the uh, routine frictions that uh, a lot of like minority marginalized folks end up encountering day to day. So like you will get jokes about that uh, experience or you'll get jokes about like uh, whiteness from Sam. But what you won't see is like many depictions of black pain, which I, which I understand why it's not going in that direction. But the thing that does like, but when it does put a marker down, like Sam making the decision to pick a fight with like a Petro giant, well, that like it is a brave decision, but you make it less brave by making it so trivial. Oh, we'll just right. we will just replace uh, <laughs> we'll just replace Emirati's heir or whatever it is, right? Uh, yeah. With with late to market Tinder, and that will be equivalent. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's not like yeah. at that point we are totally in the realm of fantasy, and we end up diminishing that plot arc where like you it, it's a big moment like. Sam puts it all on the line. The team sort of joins hands and they're like, well, we're going to jump into this abyss together. And at that moment, you're like, this is an abyss. Like this is, this is a team that has already been acknowledged. They've been relegated to bring in less money. And now they're one of their star players is calling out their sponsor. Um, and then and one fun. of the main characters of the show is like their social media marketing manager. Like it's so easy to imagine like an immediate subplot of like her like uh, suddenly underwater like de- like dealing with like an enormous backlash to like the p- most likely the most predominantly like white audience that consumes like the like so- and so i mean i get i get i get where they well, end up, and then, where but, they end up but and- the other thing is like when you have uh like edwin akufo making this case for we are going to create a pan african like soccer right. superpower in north africa um again we're sort of alluding to the fact that like hey a lot of european soccer talent is either signed from abroad or it is homegrown but it is still within marginalized communities right like again you're sort of acknowledging that this landscape exists but evade like this is the thing like from from that standpoint i was like this is a really good offer like this is the thing i couldn't shake was like that's a great 
offer in a lot of ways. Like Edwin Akufo, they kind of make it easy by revealing him to be a complete piece of shit at the end. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's something to this pitch. And I think it would be really resonant with, with Sam. And in the end, he kind of just walks away from it because like, well, you know, kids in the park are wearing, are wearing my protest Jersey. Um, but that doesn't quite address the fact that like European soccer voraciously consumes uh, like talented black athletes, but does not reciprocate in a lot of markets with commensurate respect and influence. Um, so I found that I found there's a lot there, but the show like having acknowledged it does kind of walk away from it and is like, yeah, Sam's inspiring the kids and he's opening a Nigerian restaurant in, <laughs> in London. Mm-hmm. That's, that's activism, right? Um, well, that feels, it, it feels like, uh, oddly, uh, reminiscent of like the end of black Panther, right. Where it's like, yeah, where they, where they open, uh, like a school or whatever at, you know, at the end of that, that film. And it's like, yeah, that's how, that's how we're going to change things. Like we're just going to bring, um, a Wakanda Academy to, to, to the United States. Like that's, that's how we're going to fight American imperialism and, and, you know, cultural imagining. Uh, and it's, uh, it feels in, in that vibe. Yeah. So I, and, yeah, I like, Go on, Kata. Well, I was just going to say, I, I felt like it was, um, you know, meant to weirdly be like, basically, there's that scene where um, the billionaire takes him out to lunch and it's uh, a gone in place, uh, but it doesn't exist, right? He's spent- No, it's, isn't it Nigerian? Because he makes the point, it's like, I made it Nigerian for you, right, even though right. we know Ghanan food is better. Right, and right. at that point, yes. it's like all good fun, like, haha, just jesting before we get to actual, like, intense dislike. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the the point there being just like he can snap his fingers because of his mm-hmm. in, in, in insurmountable wealth and make this appear. Um, but it doesn't, because it's just for Sam, like, it doesn't have any effect on the actual face of the neighborhood right like the idea that sam is opening this restaurant is supposed to be like he's setting roots here so that other possible immigrants will have a place to come and you know eat the food that they used to eat right and that's kind of like the idea of like you know if you're immigrating here trying to create community um i can kind of see that angle there but Mm -hmm. like it it does feel like there's just like one too many threads on this interaction to like really make that sink in. Uh, and, and it does end up feeling more like the end of <laughs> black Panther than they probably meant for it to. But um. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do like that as a, as a gesture from the character of like, it's time for me to make this home. Yeah. And yeah. part of that is cause he does refer throughout that conversation of like, I miss this food. Yeah. Um, it doesn't exist. And so him making the choice to be like, Okay, time to stop treating this like a rental. This is my life, and I'm going to make this corner of it home. That's cool. Um, I also enjoy the fact that in the end, that entire plot arc is largely independent of Sam and Rebecca's uh, relationship. Yeah, which seemed underdeveloped in every respect. Like I, I wanted to like it, and, and the level of attractive people getting together. Who doesn't love that in a TV show? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like. Neither the courtship 
nor consummation, nor the friction, nor this will they won't they thing at the end. Again, like in an overstuffed season, none of it particularly had space to breathe. Which and is funny because so, then they had suddenly two extra episodes to work with. Yeah. Feels like things could have maybe been shifted a little differently. Yeah. But But in yeah, in the end, um, yeah, he's like, I made this decision regardless of our relationship. Um, and yeah, I'm like, I, it ended up being a plot beat that just never felt like they laid sufficient groundwork for, yeah. in part because season two just had too many. Like, I think the thing that typified it for me is the fact that the crisis in their relationship unfalls alongside the crisis in Rebecca's family, which is happening simultaneously. With Ted having a crisis over unresolved feeling, like Rebecca's dad dies, Ted's reflecting on the death of his father. All these things are jammed into one episode, and they're all like jostling for space. And at the end of that episode, Rebecca like puts things on hold with Sam, and it's just like, even in an overlong episode, they couldn't give all the the beats space to land. As well as I think they make some terrible creative decisions. Um, Why are we doing why are we doing a Rick Astley meme based episode? Oh my God. Um, at a pivotal point in the season. At a pivotal point in the season. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, the the the, the, the choice of song was already sort of like odd and like not that funny. And so the fact that like it just kept continuing throughout the episode. I mean, they try to sh- shoulder that on, you know, you know, her mother so that it's like, Oh, she likes this shitty song. And they try and like deliver that final beat, you know, uh, about her <laughs> not realizing what Rick Astley looks like at the end. Like I, that feels like a joke that then spiraled out of control and someone should have raised their hand and been like, Hey, actually like this isn't like, I don't think this is that funny to sustain a whole episode. The thing that really bothered me was the singing at the end in the, in like at, at, at like, the funeral is yes. Yeah. Uh, because th- there's like, it's so easy to imagine a different version of that where she's having that moment up, up there and let, let her, let her try and sing it and cry. Like I thought I, I, I bought into that and even was able to look past the Rick Astley-ness of it in, in that moment. Cause she was really selling it as an actress. And when she struggles, like Ted probably should have attempted to like start the singing. And then if there was any sort of like reflection on his arc, during the season, would he would shut the fuck up and like let her just have the moment. Like you don't need to steal the spotlight like in that way. And like that's how I thought they were going with this. Like, oh, he's gonna kind of like poke his head up, realize he's not needed, and should just sit back down and then let her resolve it on, on her own. Because that yeah, that whole bit was it's like the it's the equivalent of the Christmas shit. It's like yeah. hey, Ted Lasso, you're kind of even even for people who are like into the vibe. Uh, this is you're like you're going like a little, a little too far yeah. um, in, in a way that like you, it, it's just really, you're kind of undercutting your own points. Um, it like really fuels like some of the backlash to the season that I've seen, you know, critically are, are moments like that, which uh, yeah, it was, it was just unnecessary. Yeah. And I think sometimes the, the show ends up trying to do too much, like, well, it is doing too much, but like there's some parallel structure stuff where I think they end up stepping on two really important moments for each of these characters uh, by doing a crosscut thing where Rebecca tells the story of walking in on her dad, uh, like having an affair, uh, having sex with someone who's not her mom. 
Um, and Ted is telling the story of like being at home when his father takes his own life. And they tell these things in parallel with like cuts between them. And the problem for me sitting at home is these two stories are not equivalent. Like you can't like editing is not going to mask the fact that like <laughs> we're not building up to the same emotional revelation. Yeah. No, especially because it is much more complicated because and I and I feel like the episode, I think sometimes Ted Lasso can get lost in a very white feminist worldview in some ways. And one of the things that I think they've done poorly is um, they established an earlier episode that Rebecca's mom kind of sucks, like is kind of a shallow, um, inconsiderate person. And the show plays it off as cute, but like Rebecca's mom seems kind of awful, um, bit neglectful, bit disrespectful, um, like not really there for her daughter. Um is is very much kind of a, a deadbeat dad stereotype in some ways, like blowing through town, making promises about like how good we're we're gonna have at this time, and then disappearing from Rebecca's life uh, immediately as soon as Rebecca begins to like believe in her. Knowing all that, I'm not entirely sure that we're also supposed to be like, man, like Rebecca, your dad was just such a piece of shit. What we know is he had a bad marriage with a woman that we're not necessarily so sympathetic with. And so the the other part of this is the groundwork isn't sufficiently laid to I understand how this is a traumatic memory for a child. Um, but at the same time, the thing we're we're also left with is that Rebecca kind of retcons this into a the thing I couldn't stand, the difficulty in my relationship with my mother is that my mother took this guy back and let him treat her this way. And I'm like, we had an entire episode yeah. that showed the conflict with her mother is entirely about the way her mother interacts with Rebecca. Yeah. Um, and so, again, like, these things are not equivalent because, meanwhile, over in Ted Lasso land, you have the pain of a really happy, idyllic childhood and relationship with one's father being shattered by this act that reveals that there was something awful beneath the surface this entire time. Two very different things that Ted Lasso's like, just going to cut between them and tell the stories as mirrors of each other. And then we're going to top it off with never going to give you up. Like, yeah. Oof. It's rough. And they're trying to like, uh, I feel like the, 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 the parallel that we're trying to draw here is just like, that, uh, you know, the way that trauma, like people carry trauma around, yes. right? Like it's, it's, but like two very different traumas and two very different, like you mentioned, uh, uh, kind of sources and, um, kind of, I mean, obviously outcomes too, because like, you know, uh, Rebecca's mom is like, I knew, right? Like, and they have their own, like, uh, like thing there were, but it's like the, yeah, the that that equivalency like breaks apart really quickly. Uh even just the fact that it's like Rebecca's putting this forward as like hey, here's why I don't like you, <laughs> right? Like to the person that the trauma is kind of like supposedly centered on. Um yeah. and Ted is kind of opening up to a third party about 
about his past. So like it it doesn't work on multiple levels. It's just like feels very strange to have interspersed those two that way. Um yeah. yeah. And then I think the mishandling makes it all feel just a little bit clumsier, right? Yeah. Where it's like what's the what's the worst and saddest thing we can imagine for Ted Lasso? It makes sense for the character. Uh, but again, in sort of the fumbling here, it's like I don't know if like you even fully understand uh, the gravity of the material you're working with, or even like the fine job that like the performers are doing. Like the other thing is when you're cross cutting like that, you are interrupting the great work that Jason Sudeikis and Sarah Niles are doing as Ted and Doctor Sharon. Um, where it's like sometimes you should just keep the camera rolling on two actors yeah. and let them like have their scene uh i i hated this decision um a decision that a lot of people hate though that i actually like and we alluded to it but i think it ended up being really well carried off is um the fact that nick muhammad's nate shelley oh yeah just turns out to be a complete bastard mm-hmm. um and he trent crim texts ted one night. oh my god <laughs> revealing that tomorrow's story is oh. going to be an expose from the independent showing how the, the, the time when Ted fled the field uh, was because he was having a panic attack. And, and, and Trent tells him, Ted, as a journalist, I had to run that story, but as someone who respects you, I want to tell you that my source was Nate. Too, too many reporters watch this show <laughs> and critics watch the show that know how journalism works. I get that one. I had, I had no issue with, with like that dramatically. It was perfect. Oh yeah. And I was like, man, sometimes the moment is better than the logic and that like throw logic out the window. Like that was a, a great review. I like, I like much bigger problems with like Trent, like suddenly like coming to Jesus and being like, actually I need to find like better purpose in my life. And this was the moment that I, that I realized it. I didn't buy any of that. I, but I was totally fine with him throwing Nate under the bus as like a, as a good, you know, clincher moment for an episode. Yeah. Um, and also like, like to a degree, I, I, I had sort of suspected we were heading toward this when, when Trent came fishing around for like confirmation that Ted was going to stick to that, uh, like bad lunch story, a uh, little, little tummy upset. Mm. Um, but I sort of figured that like, Trent would dime out Nate for pulling this because it's such an obviously like despicable move uh, to try to, to get at Ted. Um, but I think that the handling, the, the, the reveal of Nate as being so troubled and self-loathing as to become, you know, pretty evil over the course of the season. Um, I kind of love that arc. And I think yeah. that I think one of the great things about uh, Muhammad's performance is that uh, he's been on Twitter trying to explain this to fans who are very upset that like their underdog hero has proved to be such a piece of shit. Like Muhammad's been out there on Twitter so, and and giving interviews on like we always knew this was the destiny destiny of this character. Like Muhammad has played this character from the start, yeah, as a person who would end up in this position, and y'all just didn't see it. And I think that's, y'all I think that's those, great. Y'all thought those bits where he was putting down Will, the new fucking boy, was just for laughs. Like, well, no. I think the like, people right? knew that's, that was shitty. Huh? I think it's the when you uh, people but knew I think that's that was pointing. Shitty. I think that's pointed pointing mm-hmm. to the direction right of the character. Like that felt like very early signposting of like, oh, 
this is this is the issues that he has. He's got this like inferiority complex that's going to blow up now that he's getting a little bit more attention, right? Like, and if it doesn't go perfectly well, it's gonna backfire, which it does, right? Like, uh, well, like the like the the fact that I, shit, I overlooked it. The way he motivates the team and emerges as a good coach by doing an insult comedy routine uh, in the locker room before their game, uh, like Liverpool or whatever it is. Um, And at the time, it's like, yeah, he really did get at them. He really did fire them up by sort of fingering their faults and like highlighting the places where they're complacent or not living up to potential. But when you go back in, it's like. Wow, he really had a lot of pent up disdain yeah. and dislike for his coworkers uh, that just all came bubbling out effectively. But again, like if you stop and think about it, like the minute you ask, like, well, where did that come from? The answer's not good, right? Well, and the, the show, the show. I mean, like, if there is, I, I can totally understand as like a fan where you get caught up in certain characters, like being upset with like where like they land dramatically or like some different character turns, but. Like, more than anything else, like, I think that they successfully sort of lay the groundwork uh-huh. for this. Bo- like, if this season does anything, when you look back, like, they 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 spend a lot of significant amounts of time in th- moments that feel like one-offs that then culminate, essentially, in, like, the really dramatic yeah. blow-up that he has at Ted, which was, like, straight up, like, took my breath away. I kept waiting for it to stop, and then it just kept going. And, like, the way Sudeikis, like, plays that scene is so much like the audience being like, huh, fuck. Like, what <laughs> are we, like, oh, no. well, how's this going to resolve? Well, like, they're going to hug, right? Like, this, <laughs> like, the, you know, the Diamond Dogs are going to f- figure this out, right? Like, and then it just, it just keeps going. It just keeps, and, like, that is such a, that's so much work. Like when the with television can be like be good at as a medium, what it can accomplish more than like a film can in, in you know two hours, even a three hour runtime is is allowing that sucker punch where like it's a character that is so restrained and you're seeing them being ratcheted a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So then when you have that moment between the two of them, like it is just so dramatically satisfying and can take your breath away. In, in a way that is like usually reserved for like a plot twist. And it's like, no, actually like we're, we really were building to this. Like it's not that dramatically surprising, but it's just watching that character explode was just, I mean, I like we around the scene to watch it again. Cause it was just like, Holy, Holy yeah. shit. Um, well, and, I love you know, that. This is also, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I also love that. Like Ted had nothing to say to that. And part of thing, because there's so nothing. clearly nothing to say, like right. it is, it is such a, the monologue is like shattering, but also it is such a, like it, it typifies distorted thinking. Yeah. Like there are all these things that Nate has been holding on to and like assigning value and intent to. And we've been watching the same season of TV and it's like, you can sort of see how maybe parts of this are like, he gets there, but a lot of it is just coming from like, absolutely the ether he built up a story in his head yeah. and like has not told anyone along you know even the the bit about well, what happened to the picture i gave you and i didn't realize at this time but someone pointed out earlier in the episode or an episode before like that picture that nate gave him at the end of last season when he like was having this ascent into becoming like a proper like talented and respected coach in the organization sits next to the picture of his son at home like ted does like, like you're sitting next to his boy. Like that's about like the highest possible praise you could get from Ted. But 
he didn't hear it from him because like Nate's whole complex is he doesn't feel like he has a father. Like he has a biological father, but not one that supports him, cares about him, like is interested in his successes or failures. Like that like familial relationship that he has at home does not provide any satisfaction. Ted becomes his father figure and like builds up this story of what Ted is supposed to do mm-hmm. as his father, surrogate father, emotional father. And because Ted doesn't even know that he's playing that role other than like kind of being a father figure, like that's just the Ted Lasso character, like as, as, as a, as a broader uh, sort of like stroke, like that's why Ted has nothing to say yeah. because he didn't know that he was serving this well, role. And, and well, uh, I was also going to say like, it's also like it has not, almost nothing to do with Ted's actions as well, right? It's just like the 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 the, the kind of um like success like no success is enough unless it's like like obviously like a full success, right? Like he's he's putting these small failures on himself when they're not even really big failures or like seeing any sort of like backstep as like a complete failure because of the way that his dad treats success right like it's like it's not enough oh you got that job but why aren't you xyz above that right so it's all it's all even even if ted is not deriding him for the small mistakes and like saying like you know things are all right buddy like that's still in nate's mind is still like oh i failed instead of like oh there was a mistake made here and like i can learn from it it reminded me of um like my favorite episode of Mad Men of all time is the suitcase. Um and it's conversation between um God uh John Hamm and pardon? Is it Peggy? Yeah, Peggy. Right? Um <laughs> John Hamm and Elizabeth Holmes, that's all I was like, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. Uh no, so not Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, Elizabeth Moss. Maybe. Yeah, uh, my my brain is just rotten. Uh, anyway, but there's a point where they get into a major argument. I think it was in this episode where she's talking about his lack of validation for her, that he takes her ideas and uh, sends them up the chain, takes credit for them and doesn't even like return a lot of like praise or emotional support. And he gets this sort of outraged reaction. It's like, that's what the money is for. (laughs) Um, And to an extent, the thing I love about that, that scene is that to a degree, both of them are correct in, in from a certain standpoint, but it also indicates like how poorly they've communicated the way they both see this relationship right where she does want creative validation from this mentor she admires. And meanwhile, when it comes to work product, he just thinks like she's getting paid. Isn't she like, what the fuck, what the fuck else does she need? Um, like very, very yeah. cold blooded reaction. But I think there's a, there's a bit of an echo of that uh, in here because to an extent, Nate's very position is the ultimate validation. You know what I mean? Like after right. a certain point, it, we, you know, we don't need to be doing the whole Nate the Great shit all the time because like you're here. Even though he, he stops not calling him that, right? Like he keeps saying Nate the Great all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. But like, you see, and, we don't more and Whenever it. they talk about like, let's go run Nate's. Like, well, that's like, the thing. Whenever Ted introduces like, hey, let's go do this. It's always phrased as, hey, let's go run Nate's. Nate's Insert act Which is, like there is always credit given while he stands next to him and I, in his in, in his fancy gray suit. I love the I love the the arc they take with that because the one of the first things Nate says after he comes up with that plan is 
he'll Ted will probably take all the credit for it. And then Ted doesn't take the credit for it. And you think, <laughs> oh, maybe that will show Nate something about like, okay, you know, things are good between you and Ted. And actually what he twists it into, it's going to fail. And then it'll be my fault because he's giving me the credit for it. Right. There's no, it's a lose lose situation. Yeah. Like no matter yeah, what, Nate sees the negative in this if it fails because it's, it's attached to him now. Um, even though before he was worried that he wouldn't get the credit for it. Right. Like it, it's a really like it's, it, it's, it really kind of pinpoints how the character is like, it doesn't really matter what Ted's doing. It's about his specific way that he views success and the way that, uh, he's not getting validation for the, the successes that he is having from his father, his actual father. Right. And like not enough effusive support he's, or at least like that he sees from Ted as his replacement, uh, father figure. Also, like, I do love the subversion of the, like, underdog triumph story of, like, so often it stops the moment, like, people do realize the underdog has these talents, and they kind of come into their own, and they get recognized. I think this takes an extra step, which I think is really important, which is, like, the way the underdog archetype intersects with the nice guy archetype, where it's, mm. like, a lot of times what you might be dealing with somebody with is, like, it's it's hard to tell. Are you dealing with somebody who just lacks confidence um, and that's all they need? Or are you dealing with somebody who feels deeply superior to most of the people that surround them, deeply resents like the fact that they haven't achieved more, but given a taste of success would immediately like that superiority, that sense of like contempt would immediately curdle and like the underdog just becomes uh, a, a raging superior asshole. It's not like, um, I'm so glad I got this opportunity. It's like, they should have given me this opportunity years ago. Right. Like, and now I need more. Right. And now still I need better more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the other thing that I, I really dug here is we've seen so many versions of, uh, you know, you just need to believe in yourself, Nate. Like, you, 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 should, you, should, you should be running this team. He's given that opportunity. And immediately it's like, oh, it's payback time. Right. Um, and so, like, you've yeah. created – you couldn't have known. Uh, but think, the, the fact that, like, these things you might have sympathized with Nate, they were also concealing real vices of character. Yeah. I think it's an essential kind of foil to the, the like, kind of thrust of the first season of, like, Ted can fix all the problems. Right? Yeah. Like, as far as, like, the character goes, they also complicated him by giving him more complex and, like – uh uh you know emotional stakes with him and his divorce but also like the situational like thing of like that tact won't fix everything like nate should have probably also had some sessions with dr sharon like there oh, yeah. are the the like that you know like we um yeah like just in, in general it's, like, it's he's a, the only he's the only one that yep. didn't take a session yes. basically right like they make a point several times in the show to be like Part of the reason she's staying for the whole year is because everyone wants time with her. Um, and that's that's I think that's illustrative of like one of those breadcrumbs. Like they don't say it, but they say yeah. it if you're paying attention to, you know, all all the pieces of the, the season as a whole. Well, and, and I think it also the funny thing is you get why Ted missed it. I also what I find interesting is that like Beard and Roy didn't, but they were just at a loss as to what to do. Right. right. Like they caught enough of the weird shit happening, but they didn't know how seriously to take it or how to intervene or even what to say to this character. Um, and so they also, but they also take their cues from Ted. Yeah. Right. And so Beard has that moment where he confronts 
you know, sits down with Ted and is like, all right, so Nate was the sort, you know, like immediately just oh, lays yeah. it out. Like, cause there's multiple times during the season where I think only a couple episodes back, we saw Beard notice one of the times where Nate is being a total ass and like raises his eyebrow yeah, yeah. Um, um, at how he treats Will. Um, and so he's in a position to obviously be pretty suspicious of, of Nate being, being the source, but um, none of that's, I mean, that's again, that's part of, that's part of the show is like, it is the Ted show. And like those characters take, and if Ted isn't, you know, th- th- I think there's, well, there's the whole tension in that final episode where Beard's like, actually, this is one of those moments where I think you need to go to someone and not let them come to you. Cause that is whole yeah. Ted's MO is he exists. He's an open book. You can always come to him. And there's the, you know, we have a, a reoccurring bit where Rebecca like makes a joke about like, I think we were doing the same thing yeah. this time last year. And because the whole idea is he's an, people always do come to him and speak to him because he he has that sort of personality, projects that kind of image that you want to go confess to Ted like he is a therapist, even if he is clearly not licensed. And this this whole season is about how he's like should, should not <laughs> hold that much power, even if he's able to project that to other people. Yeah. But he doesn't go to Nate. And like that's part of the reason that moment is as explosive as it is, because it is in some ways – it shows the crack in Ted's whole approach, which sets up for a really interesting third season in which uh, the comparison I kept thinking of, uh, Rob, was there is uh, some strong kind of like B- Bill Belichick vibes coming from Nate and which is like if the show's like larger question is going to be is does being nice mean success in, in some way? And if if Nate is going to rep- represent well, actually, like, you know, being smarter, more ruthless is the path to success. And then then I guess the larger like question on top of that is like, well, what does it mean to be successful and happy? Right. Um, like that seems to like be where all this is is going because it's I, I would I guess I would be pretty at this point. I want them to make Nate full villain and explore and hopefully thoughtfully explore what it mean that what that means for him, not just to become like. I don't know, like paper thin, like you know, evil guy. Um, and I don't think I don't think of... they can walk this back. Like he's now the coach of a no. rival club, and so it would be really preposterous to say like he's going to come back to the fold and like the or he's going to throw the final match and be like Ted, I love yeah. you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. I feel like once you've made once you've walked this to to make to pay off the character, like both characters, like yeah. they represent different like philosophical approaches to like life and success and happiness and how you achieve it and how you hide, how you hide it. Um, yeah. I think they ha- you have to take it to some sort of conclusion. Well, that's, that and it doesn't preclude that. there being some sort of like satisfying resolution or like some degree of redemption for like Nate. They can have a moment, right? right? But it's like, not going to be but, reset to status quo where it's yeah. like, they all come back to the family and that they're right. all on the same side again. Like, he has achieved an incredible opportunity. It comes with responsibilities. He had like, even if he regrets this, he has to try to coach that team in the best of his abilities. And so like, if there's going to be a resolution, it's not going to be, or it shouldn't be coming back to Richmond to work for Ted because anyway, he slice, he probably has outgrown Ted staff. Um, so the question becomes like Nate as a person, right? Like the, I think a lot of times in Ted Lasso, things get redeemed by, well, you you signal your willingness to like remain a part of the the Ted Lasso and Richmond family. Nate's life course is has taken him outside of that. The question is whether he can still be a good person 
you know, like if you can heal that breach with some of these characters without necessarily like undoing the fact that he did it uh, or, or departed Richmond for this other team. Um, yeah. And the, and the final vibes there. Yeah. He does appear to be running the. Um, no days off. No days <laughs> off. The fact that like, yeah, he's got them running like a military drill out there. Um, they're very much like the uh, corporate scientists in the movie Twister. Uh, just like all black clad. Uh, wow. All, all right. Not, that was not on my bingo card uh, uh, today, but I will take a Twister reference from, <laughs> from Rob. Yeah. Um, they're, in for that. they're not in for the love of the game. Uh, he is just he's grinding them down. You're there to do a job. Right. right. Like, I mean, that's and for folks who are unfamiliar with like Bill Belichick, longtime coach of the Patriots, like infamous for and he, one, there was one time after a Super Bowl. Um, in the last like 10 years where they were at the um, the big like, you know, parade and where all the players are drunk and giving speeches and he goes up and he's not particularly good at this part. He's not super charismatic. He's very smart. Um, um, but, you know, he said you know, one of the reasons like we, we we managed to do this and be so consistently good every single year is because we take no days off and tries to get this chant going that like really does, falls pretty flat. Probably some version of it works in the locker room because he's very much of the mind that like you're there to do a job, do your job. The moment that you are no longer useful to me, you are gone from the team. And it's a part of the reason that team attracts talent is because. They are consistently good. When you go there, you know that you will be deployed to the best of your abilities and be successful at it. And but it also means that people leave and go, boy, that's I learned a like lot, but it wasn't no. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I think Gron- I think like uh, Gronkowski specifically like said that like yes, you achieve a lot of success, but it's not you know it's not very fun. There's you know it's not a very enjoyable place to be, but you will get a trophy. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's I think I think you're seeing going to see a lot of that represented in, in Nate and how he, how he handles that. So I, I would hope that like he's gotten a decent amount of screen time in the past, but if like part of what's going to be the third season is like, he gets a lot more of that. And like his family gets a lot more of that. I think that could be really interesting. Um, yeah. Like, especially cause there's so many great moments like that part when he takes his dad to that restaurant and yeah. can't get any respect that part where, He's trying to assert himself. He's been coached by Rebecca and Keeley and he can't do it. And he goes to the bathroom and he looks himself in the mirror. He's like, you were Nathan fucking Shelley and spits on himself. Like the, the moment is so unsettling. And again, we have that triumphant, like he goes back out there and he's now he's got the swagger. He's like, give me that fucking like window table. When he spits twice, right? Like he spits in disgust at two different times as like a, like this guttural physical reaction to, just being disgusted at himself. Like yeah. one, when he needs to like somehow put on the presentation that others that comes to them naturally, that allows them to get what they want. And he feels like he's deserved and is not getting naturally. So he needs to put on this big facade. And then another, when he makes a egregious misreading of, uh, that it was a, but that scene where he kisses Keely, I was <laughs> wondering if they were going to go there. Cause they start communicating it yeah. visually. Yep. Very like yeah. it, masterfully. Yeah. Like, there is a they communicate a sexual tension that you immediately feel uncomfortable with because you know it doesn't exist. But they are the way they are shooting things. And I guess Keely is just like very physical and nice, like the kind of person that is just, you know, I can see like how someone <laughs> could misread that. And he clearly is the kind of character that would. And the whole time I remember just turning to my wife and like, don't do it. I was like squirming in my seat. I was like, I think they're setting up where he's going to do something that he shouldn't. And, and then they don't do it immediately. 
And then they just come back. Ah, oh, it was that's a really well, a really good. And scene. again, another example of how these things get twisted because like he expects Roy to be angry at him. Right. Oh my oh, god. That, Roy's like <laughs> that's I think that scene is what actually breaks him. I think the the moment that Nate the moment Nate breaks <laughs> is, is is when somehow he takes being forgiven for a misstep um as insulting his masculinity yes. yeah. because if anyone else did if you know if uh uh if anyone else did it they would it would be, he would be angry and instead he so does not feel threatened by Nate whatsoever now he also doesn't know that he already has had a conversation with Keeley like they talk through it like but yeah. even their conversation and the fact that he isn't threatened by it is in its way a reflection that at no point did he think Nate actually had a shot with well, his super hot but, girlfriend. But, th- but that I think is is the thing. I think like Nate sees it in that light of like you right. don't see me as enough of a man or an attractive enough person to be a threat to your relationship. When we know the truth is the relationship is just actually pretty strong. Like yeah. that Jamie uh, is also not really if a anyone to could it. have thrown a traditional wrench in. It was Jamie saying I love you and her response clearly being. Well, I still have feelings for you, but maybe I'm not, you know, actively in love with you or whatever. Right. And and so, like, the the thing that Nate can't see it as anything other than a slight, that he's not being taken yeah. seriously as a romantic rival. And the answer that we can obviously is, like, it has nothing to do with you. Like, it's not, it's not even that, like, Keely, like, rejects the idea of Nate. Keely's in a relationship she's happy with. Like, it yeah. just never crossed anyone's mind <laughs> yeah. that this was a serious thing and so like we're all gonna move on from it because like you made a mistake and it, like that happens and you said you made a mistake and no one feels threatened and like that's like a healthy way to deal with yeah but that forgiveness like, like just goes straight like to that thing kato was saying everything that yeah. happens is just like time to run it through the reality distortionometer yep <laughs> and have it come out in the most twisted way possible um, and so, like, I think it's such a well-handled arc that for all my issues with this season, I, I think, like, honestly, the Nate stuff might be the stuff that made it, like, a great season of TV for me. Because it was, like, the slow-moving... I kept expecting them to, like, have the very special episode where it's like, hey, Nate, we need to come to grips with, like, the way you're sort of acting in this new role and the way you're treating people. And Beard sort of does that, but he botches it by making it sort of a, a dressing down that doesn't really have any follow up or 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 yeah, he's just it's just stop being an asshole. Yeah, and it doesn't get to the core issues. Um, and so we proceed to this full breach uh, that that's irrevocable. And I think the way that is paid off is probably the strongest like plotting and delivery that we've seen in this season. Uh, and so that's the stuff that I'm like. I have a lot of issues with Ted Lasso season two. Um, I also have some very, some very great beats, but in terms of this, which I think is kind of its its, its main arc in terms of what it's trying That's to accomplish, what it wanted to accomplish. Season. The whole season was to to give yeah. depth to Ted's, you know, whole facade and and to give Nate this character turn. But it, it's just so clear that they knew that they accomplished that part, and they just weren't sure what to do with everybody else. Like it almost feels like. And at some level, I'm sympathetic because if they spent more time on that conflict, you would be telegraphing more of what's happening. Yep. And so, like, part of the reason it lands the way it does with the power that it does is because it's not a bait and switch, but it has the feeling of a bait and switch. And um, 
to achieve that with a character is like really difficult to do. And if they were do, spending more time as opposed to these little one-offs with the different characters um, and kind of secretly building it in, in different ways, I, I, I get where they land with this. I just, I guess I'm just hoping all these, whatever messiness was here in season two yeah. is just leading to like a much more concentrated like through line for, for the third season for, for all the characters. Yeah. Big fan of the lasso verse. Uh, if season yep. three is truly in line, uh, that's great. If season three turns out at the end of the Ted Lasso arc, but we end up sort of staying in this world of like fantasy Premier League, um, I'm good with that too. Like, I, I'd be cool with an episode that focuses on like, you know, <laughs> Isaac and Zoro and Danny Rojas rebuilding Richmond after everyone's moved on. Uh, it's it's a good cast, and it, it turned out to be a pretty pretty cool season. Uh, I think we should call it there. Uh, I was hoping to get into the question bucket, but we just had too much t- too much good conversation to be had <laughs> about that Ted Lasso. Yeah. Uh, so I think we will. We'll, we'll do like a question bucket. You know, at some point we're going to we'll have some slowdown. I've been curating the question we'll a- bucket better of late, but hmm. it turns out <laughs> you actually have to read them and answer them. Yeah. That's, people need to be motivated to think they're going to be present. That's on the, the problem. And <laughs> I just like the sound of my own voice too much. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, Nate. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people follow you? At Patrick Klovic. Cotto. At A underscore Cotto underscore appears. And you'd also go check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Meanwhile, for our Waypoint Plus listeners, Stocktober is continuing. I think this week we're going to get to the Tarkovsky film. Last week we touched on Roadside Picnic. Uh, Plus, uh, I think we'll actually have this out the door by Halloween. Uh, We're also going to continue manhunting, and we're going to watch the creepiest Michael Mann film, uh, his Will Graham uh, detective movie, uh, Manhunter, uh, in which Will Graham is recovering from his encounter with Hannibal Lecter and gets put on another case and is dealing with, uh, is, is once again being dragged back into the world of serial killers. It's an unusual movie for man and probably, I think, uh, after the keep, his most horror adjacent, uh, film. So we'll be, I think, recording that this week if everything goes well and you'll be hearing it next week and then uh, sometime after that we will have our waypoint 101 on stalker which again patrick and i are going to be playing a bunch of on streams this week that all sounds good or you just want more waypoint you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe not only do you get access to our premium feed but you're also helping support waypoint and especially those streams so once again, that's waypointplus.com. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, that's it for this Monday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.